up our series, Did I Just Say That? And this is, sorry about that, Caleb. And um, this has been one of those series that has been really awesome for my wife. Now, wait a second, wait a second, let me tell you why. Because I'm recognizing that I need to be careful with words that I'm saying so my wife becomes the beneficiary of that. And the reason why I bring that up is because it's been inter- pretty interesting over the, this is our, I think our fifth message in this series, and it's been pretty interesting because every time I'm around other people and they're talking about this series, they're, they're kind of going, yeah, they need to say the right thing. In fact, last Sunday night, I was with a group of friends and we were sitting around a table and we kind of all started talking. You know how sometimes when you start talking, for some of you, barbs start coming out in your words? You start saying things that are a little bit smart aleck, a little sarcastic. Maybe it's just the early service, all right? Some of you are afraid to nod because people are already elbowing you. And we were sitting around and we were saying some of those things and as we would say those things, somebody at the table would say to me, Pastor Richie, tell him to stop saying that. And I was like, I just told him that this morning, and he's obviously not listening to me. What makes you think I would, he would change his mind now in what I'm saying? And, and here's kind of my, thank you, Christian, for that courtesy laugh. And here's kind of what I'd really like to have as our kind of our takeaway from this series is not, this is not for someone else. All right, because I know some of you are going, man, I just sure wish somebody could have been here. This is not for someone else. This is for us. This is for us to watch the words that we're saying so that we can police the words that we're saying because we're understanding from the words that we're saying that we are powerful people. I don't know if you recognize how powerful you actually are, but you are powerful because your words are powerful. In fact, one of the best ways that you can understand this in knowing that your words are powerful is right here. Words spoken over you. Now, this may have been by somebody else or it may have been by you. Words spoken over you, about you, and to you are the words that have shaped you. Listen, the words that you say cause you to see what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror. How many of you look in the mirror every morning and go, champion, overcomer, conqueror? How many? Unfortunately, a lot of times it's the opposite, isn't it? And I need to drop a few pounds. Are my ears really that big? And we, we have a tendency to see the wrong thing, say the wrong thing over our lives, and then they begin to shape our lives. So it's important that we understand that the words that were spoken over you, about you, and to you are words that have shaped you. Listen, and words to some extent, they are defining the direction and the quality of your life and the lives of other people. Words are powerful. That's why the word of God teaches you and I that the tongue has the power of life and death. So we started this series in the book of James, James the brother of Jesus, in a letter that he wrote, and and we looked at this one thing that you and I are going to have to do for the rest of our lives. All right, the Bible says James is writing this letter saying that the tongue is actually untamable. It can't be domesticated. You cannot think, oh, I've got this down now. I got words down. I'm I'm not ever going to say the wrong thing. In fact, for the rest of our lives, we need to be this. We need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You want relationships to work in your life? You want relationships to work in your life? You want to have amazing relationships that people go, man, I wish I had a marriage like that. Or, man, I wish I had a relationship like that with my kids. Do you want that? Then we need to be 
quick to listen, and slow to speak. We have to put a guard over our lips so that when words rush the gate, we've filtered them out and make sure that we don't allow the wrong things to come out, but we allow the right words to come out. So again, in the first few messages, we looked at this letter from James, but last week we began looking at a letter from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it was really a letter, but, but it's part of the, the book of Ephesians that we have now, and, and it was written to the church to help them understand how they need to begin to adjust behavior now that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it's important that you understand that Christianity is not about showing up to church on Sunday. Christianity is not something that you get because you're an American. Christianity or followers of Jesus Christ are people who are walking after, following after Jesus and every day trying to become a little bit more like him. That we, yes, we recognize we've got some issues. We all have some issues. We've got some challenges in our life. It's one of the things I love about this church is we're all willing to admit we've got issues. Right? None of us have arrived yet. (laughs) I don't know if you all know this when I ask questions. I'm actually looking for a response. But we've all got some issues that we're walking through. And what it's important is not the the fact that we start settling in going, well, I've just got issues, so I'm just going to stay here. No, we start correcting and adjusting issues. So it's a first century document, this book of Ephesians, and Paul is talking to them about how to get better with their words. How many of you know that you need to get better with your words? Show of hands. How many of you know somebody that needs to get better with their words? Oh, I've got everybody to respond on that one. All right. So again, this morning, I want to review and then I want to pick up because Paul is writing to Gentiles who have become Christians who have left a pagan worldview and they're trying to sort through what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And that honestly should be our heart's cry all the time is what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I want to show up on Sundays so I can learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to get in a small group, do a study, and so I can understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These are people that, are, again, are leaving a pagan worldview, and now they're trying to change the way that they were raised. How many of you know that's difficult? You know it's difficult because you may not see it in you, but you see it in somebody that you're married to or somebody that you have a relationship with, and you see some, maybe some dysfunction the way they were raised, and you're going, man, I wish they would change that. They're trying to figure out how to change the way that I was raised, my paradigm and my perspective. And Paul's telling them that before they came to Jesus Christ, as followers now of Jesus Christ, but when they, once they became, they used to have a different worldview, but now that is changing. And what Paul is writing to is these people actually had a multiple God view. They were polytheist, and that worldview was reflected in their behavior. So polytheism was all about being like the gods who were all about themselves. Now before we kind of go, well, that was just in Ephesians, it's our culture today. Our culture today is every man for himself. All about ourselves. And we cannot bring the every man for himself, the ideas that our culture has, into Christianity. We need to learn how to leave those things behind. So Paul's talking to them and saying, look, that worldview is different than the worldview as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why the word of God says that we are a peculiar people. Now, when I was growing up, that meant we had to be outdated in our styles. If skinny jeans were in, we had to wear bell bottoms. Bell bottoms went, we wore skinny jeans. Whatever it was, we, we couldn't dress like the world and look like the world, but that's not what God is talking about. What God's talking about is not peculiar, weird, but peculiar, and hey, that's amazing. 
How do you love people that are angry, mean, and, and yelling at you all the time? How do you be okay with people that cut you off in traffic? Because I are one, right? Friday night, we were going out with uh, some friends, and I was going towards downtown, and I was coming around that, that circle, and as I was noticing, there was a couple cars, and you know, I was going to be about the same time, so which car driver are you? Do you slow down and let everybody in, or do you tromp on the pedal and get out there as fast as you possibly can? I bet you can guess which one I am. So I tromp on the pedal, get out in front, and as I'm pulling on, I'm thinking, oh, man, I bet that's Amanda, one of the gals that we were going to dinner with. Sure enough, I see her grinning from ear to ear as I pull up behind her. So listen, we need to understand that we're peculiar people. If somebody cuts us off, or we should say in Amarillo, when someone cuts us off, we lovingly smile towards them. We don't tell them they're number one, right? We... We don't do that. We're a peculiar people. We act differently than the world. So it was all about themselves. So what they needed to understand is the life that they had entered into, the life they were learning about, this, this life was different than the worldview that they had come out of. That the world they live in may be filled with impurity and greed, but that isn't how they should live their lives. You and I cannot adopt the mouthing behaviors of the world and bring that into our lives. So Paul tells them to take off their old self. Some of you, incredibly sarcastic before you came to know Christ, take off your old self. Some of you were incredibly cutting even after you came to Christ, take off your old self. Put off those things and live and think differently. And so then Paul begins to give them specific applications as it applies to our mouth. Now, how many of you understand that when God is giving us something in the word, it's not just a suggestion. He's not saying, look, if you can work this into your schedule, if you feel like doing this, why don't you try to do this? It's not. What he's teaching you and I is how to walk in the abundant life that he has for us. How to make our relationships amazing. All right, so here's what he says in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You and I are not to allow any unwholesome talk to come out of our mouth. Now, the Greek word here for unwholesome is, is defined as the smell of rotting fish or fruit. It's the smell of deteriorating sandals. It's stinky feet. You have a family member that has stinky feet? Sometimes it's so bad you can almost taste it. What, what he's actually saying, yeah. He's saying, don't let words that are distasteful come out of your mouth. Do not let, in other words, you are to stand guard over your mouth. And when, not if, distasteful words rush the gate, you are to not let them out. So in order to avoid stinky or distasteful words, you have to put a guard over your mouth. Resist words that are distasteful and say, watch, he goes on, but only what is helpful. Now, we need to understand that it's going to be helpful for them, not helpful for you. I just got to get this off my chest, right? For building others up according to their needs. Not your need to say it. Oh, I just got to say it. If I don't say it, I'm not being real, Pastor Richie. You can be real and be kind, right? That it may benefit those who listen. Notice it's not those who are talking, so again, notice the line, building others up. It means that in your interactions with one another, we need to see that as a construction zone. And your words are a tool. You're either going to be building people up or you're going to
tearing down. And we need to be building people up. Why? Because that's the way of love that Jesus talked about. Then it seems like he goes all spiritual on us, but really it's just a very practical application of this because he says, and in verse 30, with your words, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, don't say something against what God is trying to do. God's trying to build the person up. Don't use your words to tear the person down. And listen today, I know that every one of us at some level struggle with this, but there are some people who really struggle with this. And I think Paul knew that they would, and so he's going to give us here in just a moment the reason why some people really struggle with this. Because in verse 31, it seems like Paul is changing the subject, but he's just really helping us understand what is the root issue. Why is it there are some people that every time they say words, they're toxic? Why is it that we allow things to escalate? Why is it that we say those things and we go, oh, I shouldn't have said that? Well, Paul tells us that if you're going to get this right, if you're going to be a builder, and not somebody who is tearing things down or a demolisher, he says this, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness. And again, we can say, hey, I thought we were talking about words, and Paul's saying it's all about your words. The reason why you struggle with this is you're dealing with a root of bitterness. And because there's a root of bitterness on the inside of you, it's bringing bitter words out of you. And, and, and notice that phrase that we are to get rid of. It doesn't mean just to stop it. It means that we are to pack it up, put it in a bag, and take it out to the curb and let the trash man take it away. All right? He's telling us that he wants to pack up everything that has to do with our bitterness, take it to the street like garbage, and leave it there. Because your bitterness, watch this, shows up not only in what you say, but how you say it and who you say it to. And you cannot be a builder if you're bitter. Because your bitterness is going to seep through your words, your tone, your attitude, and your volume. Your bitterness will affect the intent and the content of everything that you say. And of course, y'all have been in church long enough where you're smart enough to know what the antidote for bitterness is. It's forgiveness. Bitterness requires forgiveness because most of the bitterness that we deal with came from words that were spoken over us, to us, or about us. And for some of you, you grew up in a home where you never got a positive comment. Never, your parents never gave you a positive comment. And if they did, there was always a barb or a hook on it. There was always some level of sarcasm or you, you came out of a marriage where you couldn't do anything right and you were put down and put down and put down. Words were used to take from you what you should have been able to keep for yourself, your confidence, your self-esteem, your reputation. And so we come into new relationships, we come into a new season of life and we're dealing with all of the shrapnel of words that have been spoken over us in our past. And it also affects what we refuse to say because of pride in our lives. Sometimes because we're hurting so bad, we can't give a compliment to someone else. Because people who are wrestling with bitterness are trying to pay back people who haven't done anything to them because they can't pay back the person who wounded them. So I think the Apostle Paul would say, listen, I don't want to get up in all your business and all that. Listen, I don't know your story, but I can tell you this. You can't be a builder until you get rid of all the bitterness. In fact, check this out. Forgiveness is the choice to give someone from the past what they don't deserve so you can give to those around you what they do deserve. 
Let me read that again because, man, that's powerful. Forgiveness is the choice. You have to actually choose to do it. To give someone from the past what they don't deserve so that you can give to those around you what they do deserve. So we got to get rid of all the bitterness because if you're not careful, you'll pour into other people's lives all of the junk that was poured into your life. So he goes on here, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, and brawling. Get rid of all of that yelling and screaming. And I know sometimes this feels kind of a little bit like a sliding scale because if you came out of a home where if it was a fight, it was a fist fight, or guns came out, if you're yelling and screaming, you go, hey, we're doing pretty good. But he's saying, get rid of all of the yelling and screaming. Get rid of all those things that are causing things to escalate. You know in the moment when you can say a word that's going to cause it to escalate. Or you can say a word and it's going to cause it to die down. It's like in our lives, we're constantly carrying around a bucket of water and a bucket of gas. And a little fire of a fight breaks out. What are you going to choose to do in the moment? Pour water on it and put it out? Or are you going to pour gas on it and cause it to spread? So get rid of all those things. Paul says, you got to put it in a trash can. you got to take it to the street. But he's not done yet. And slander, along with every form of malice. To put it in terms that we would use today in our conversations, he might say, get rid of all words that demean, degrade, and disrespect. Not some of them. Get rid of all of those words. Do you, do you know what it means to demean someone? It's to communicate to them, your life doesn't really matter. It doesn't really have meaning. To which our Heavenly Father would say, hey, wait a minute. They matter to me. I don't know if you know that about you, but God's saying that about you. You matter to me. And if they matter to me, they should matter to us also. What does it mean to degrade? It means that you don't make the grade. You downgrade somebody. How many of you recognize you're giving people a scorecard all the time? Preach it, Pastor Richie. Ow. Degrade means that you don't make the grade. You downgrade them. You don't measure up. And when we start treating people like that, I believe God would say, can I ask you a question, Richie? I'd say, yes, sir. Because anytime God asks me a question, I'm going to say, yes, sir. Did you measure up to my standard? Well, no. Well, how did I treat you, Richie, when you didn't measure up to my standard? Well, you forgave me, and you did for me what I was unable to do for myself. God says, you know what? Do that for someone else, too. You know what it means to disrespect someone? It means to tell them, you're not worthy of my respect. To which, again, our Heavenly Father would say, listen, they're worthy of my respect because they're my child. The Apostle Paul is saying, you and I need to think differently. We need to have a, a transformation of our mind. We need to allow the Word of God to begin to change the way we think and the way we act and the way we respond to people. Before you and I came to Christ, we had a different worldview. We don't need to have that worldview anymore. So we could say, okay, well, what exactly does that look like? You told me what I shouldn't do. What should I do? He goes on in verse 32. Be kind. I don't know if you know this, but you can be kind. You don't know the job I work at. You can be kind. Listen, it doesn't mean that you avoid saying the hard things. Sometimes you got to say the hard things, but you say them in a kind way. Going on and compassionate to one another. It means that you are dialed into the emotion of the moment. That when you're talking with somebody, you recognize sometimes you can say something pretty strong to somebody and they can totally receive it and get better. And in the next moment, you have to kind of dial it back a little bit because they're dealing with some insecurity. They're dealing with some fear. 
You need to be compassionate and make sure going on that you're forgiving each other. Because if you don't forgive, it's going to show up in the words that you say. So we'd ask the Apostle Paul, okay, Paul, so how much are we to forgive? Are we to forgive them as much as they have forgiven us? And Paul says, you might be sorry you ask. Because we are to forgive them just as. Just as what, Paul? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. We are to forgive others the same way our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. How many of you recognize and know what you actually deserve? Do you know that you and I deserve instant obliteration, right? If we're going to ever stand before God, God, just give me what I deserve. A a bolt of lightning is coming out of the sky and we're going to be nothing but ashes. That's what we deserve. I thought that would be more funny than what actually was. I'm on a real roll today. All right. Listen, we are to forgive others exactly the same way that God has forgiven us. That's the platinum rule. See, the golden rule is that we are to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. The platinum rule is that we are to do unto others as God in Christ did unto and did for us. And in the context of our words, the words that we speak, we would, should speak to one another as Christ would speak to us. Which is so important for you to understand how perfectly God loves you. Because if you don't get that, you think God is mad at you all the time, angry at you all the time, and always pointing out your problems and your faults. But the moment you begin to understand how perfectly he loves you, you know that when you fail, not if you fail, but when you fail, he's going, man, you got this. Richie, you got this. Get back up, man. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But God, I did it for the 4,000th time. You got this. That's what God is saying to you. Can you imagine what would begin to take place in our relationship with our family and friends if you and I began to do this? It is amazing. And listen, and can you imagine if this became a normal way that we talked to one another, that we built one another up, and when we messed up, we owned it? We just owned it. I'm excited to get out of this series because, man, I, I'm preaching to y'all, but I'm actually preaching to myself. And I'm getting a little tired of having to get on to myself about my words. In fact, I've noticed over the last several weeks, I've had to tell Pam multiple times, sweetheart, I'm sorry, the words rushed the gate and I just let them out. Said the wrong thing. Now, there's been some times I've stopped it. And, and uh, about a couple of weeks ago, Pam started going, honey, you are just being so sweet to me. Now, my first thought is, okay, what did you buy? What got broken? What happened? And, but she just kept saying it. And suddenly I started recognizing that I'm, I'm getting better at not saying the wrong thing. And when I do say the wrong thing, I'm just owning it. I'm saying, babe, I'm sorry. I apologize. And it's amazing how words that you say over someone, if you don't deal with them and correct them quickly, they really do start festering and growing. But if you correct them quickly, you have the opportunity to actually uproot that weed that got into their life. It changes everything. we just got to own it. And what Paul is telling us is that we need to allow God's grace to you to mold, shape, and inform the way that you communicate to other people. And you know what's wild about this is that the people that are closest to us, the people that we love the most are typically the people that we say the most damaging things to. So let me close off the, the message today and let me close off this series and 
I want to I wanna give you some, some homework, if you will, some, some application. Because listen, we, we don't sit here in on Sunday and we hear the word and we go, okay, good, Richie, that was about a four out of a ten, way to go. I'm actually going to go live my real life. Or maybe you're more excited about it and you're like me. This is a nine out of ten. I'm really excited about this message. And, and, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply it to my life. And so I got two questions and then I've got a comment. But here's first of all is the questions. Where do I have work to do? Notice it's not, where does my spouse have work to do? Where do my kids have work to do? Where do my associates have work to do? Where do I have work to do? Because you all know you're the only one that can change you. And when you change you, you change the environment. You start changing other people. So where do I have work to do? And here's the second question. Who hopes I'll get to work soon? Now some of you are elbowing one another. Where do I have work to do with, with the words that I'm saying? What, what do I need to get better at? And who hopes I'll get to work soon? Because again, it's the people closest to us, the people that we love, the people that we've entered into covenant relationship, the people that, that we've, we've raised up, our kids, that we typically damage the most, which means it's not their problem, it's ours, that we've got the issues. Listen to this. And if you're someone who happens to be a little bit overly critical, this is me. I'll be quite honest with you today. I have a tendency to, to kind of want to fix things, tweak things all the time. Or if you're, for you, like me again, sarcasm is just a way of talking, which I know some of you are going, yeah, Pastor Richie, we know that. You should have seen me about 15, 20 years ago before my wife got into my life and really helped me. Seriously. Can I tell you that, that being sarcastic being critical never builds anybody up. Oh, Pastor Richie, you, you don't know. I, I've got to be critical. If, I don't, if I'm not critical, boy, they're, they're just going to justify some wrong behavior. It never builds anyone up. It's never made someone better or stronger when you're purely sarcastic and purely critical. And can I be real direct with you today? Whether they give me permission or not, I'm going to anyway. Especially with you dads and at some level with you moms, sarcasm doesn't build anything in your children but resentment. In fact, sarcasm won't make your sons and daughters tougher. It will just make them tougher to connect with you. So again, if you're looking for some next steps, you're going, Pastor Richie, I'm tired of, I'm tired of having these same issues in my marriage. I'm tired of having these same issues in my relationship with my kids or with my coworkers. Here's, here's again, the two questions. Where do, what, where do I have work to do? And who hopes I will get to work soon? And then one, one final thing I want to encourage you to do. It's this. Memorize, bookmark, or place this passage in a place where you can keep these verses in front of you. Because it's important that we learn to keep the word of God because unfortunately what we look at is we want to respond the same way the world does. The world's going to gig us, we're going to gig them back. They want to say something cruel to us, we're going to say something cruel back. Paul's saying that's not how we operate as followers of Christ. Listen, because you can stand up all day long and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if your words are not different and your actions are not different than them, they're not going to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And I'm telling you, it becomes so attractive because they may not respect you, you think, in the moment, but they're going to respect you in the long run when they recognize you had the courage to say the right thing even though they were saying the wrong things to you. So for some of you, you need to memorize it. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Don't say words that are distasteful. You need to memorize it. Some of you need to bookmark it. You need to put that in there in Ephesians chapter 4. Man, I'm going to bookmark that. I'm going to flip over and I'm going to read that from time to time. Here's the, here's the one that I do all the time. Is, is that I place this passage in a place where I can find it. In my iPad in the notes area, I always, every time a verse begins to really speak to me or there's a verse that I want to adopt behavior of, I put it in there and I'll pray over it and I'll look over it and I'll memorize it. And the more I begin to get into that word and that word begins to get into me, it does what the word of God says. I become transformed by the renewing of my mind. Things begin to change. And suddenly when things begin to change, things get better. Things get better. Because here's what I know. This will make your life better. This will make you better at life. It'll make you a better dad, a better mom, better friend, better neighbor, better coworker. It will make your life better. But here's what I want to say, because this is the, probably the challenge for some of you here today, that as you're applying these passages to your life, if you find it's just too difficult to say the right things, I, I can't do it, then there's some things you probably need to take to the street. You need to uproot that root of bitterness, put it in the trash can, and let the dumpster take it away. And no, I don't know your story, and I don't know the things that have been said over you, about you, and to you. And listen, you may need some help getting this right. If you're overly critical and you're all the time saying the wrong thing, you might need somebody to step into your life and help you. Do you want to move past those things? If you want to move past those things, position yourself. Go to counseling. Get in a small group. Get in a small group and tell some people, listen, man, I have a tendency to be way critical. I have a tendency to be way too sarcastic. Can you help me with this? Can you walk through this with me? And I'm telling you, you're going to be changed forever. Because the words that you're saying, they're affecting the quality and the direction of your life. There's some of you that God is wanting to promote into some areas at work or with, with your family, some growth that he wants to take place. But our words keep undoing what he wants to do. It's going to affect other people's lives. So listen, we need to take all of that junk to the street. We need to get rid of all bitterness. How do we do that? We forgive everyone. I said this last week, but I want to say it again today as I close. I think it's easy for us sometimes to think of large things that happen to us. the, The way maybe we're physically or emotionally abused or something that happened that was just devastating. And it's easy for us to kind of go, that needs... I need to forgive that person for that thing. And it's true, you do. But I think a lot of times it's the small little things that are going on in our life that we don't recognize we're holding some unforgiveness towards people. Someone that said a a cutting remark at work that now we avoid them and yeah, we like them, but we really don't. I mean, we love them, but we don't really like them. Or we, we, we get cut off in traffic. I apologize for that. Something happened, and it's just this little thing, and suddenly these little things, as as the Word of God talks about, it becomes the little foxes that have spoiled the vine. And we just have this loss of joy, a loss of peace in our life. We just need to keep our accounts short. We just need to forgive people. We need to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus has done, you and I stand under a waterfall of forgiveness. 
meaning that God has already forgiven you of everything that you've ever done. Everything that you've ever done, everything that you're going to do, he's already forgiven you of it. What if we made the same choice to put other people in our lives under the waterfall of forgiveness too? And we simply made a choice ahead of time. Whether somebody says something, does something, acts inappropriately, whatever it might be, I'm choosing ahead of time to forgive them. I'm telling you, if you do, you'll be amazed at the quality of your life, how things will begin to change in your life and change in the lives of people around you. But it's a choice we have to make. We have to take off the old man. We have to be renewed in our mind and allow God to do a work in our lives.